Welcome this morning. We're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 18. Numbers, chapter 18. You can go over there and find your place, and we're going to start in the New Testament, though. We need to have some preface to our message from the book of Numbers, chapter 18. I stand amazed many times at how close the Bible class lesson and the message are. And as Brother Mike brought out, we are just going through the Bible, and here we are. He's taught about the widow's mites, and we're going to be talking about what it is there in giving in the book of Numbers chapter 18. Now, to preface that, I have to say this. How liberating it is to be able to just trust the Lord. To trust the Lord with salvation. To trust the Lord that he will save whom he will at the appointed time. And it is not my business to get involved in that. I used to think it was. I found out in salvation it isn't. It's God's business. Only he can give the new birth. It is my business to be faithful to God's word. It is your business to be faithful to God's word. That is our business. We must be faithful to God. And that is in preaching his word, we must be faithful to God. In living his word, we must be faithful to God. So as we look here at Numbers chapter 18... Would you join me first of all? Keep your finger there. Put a marker there. We will be there. But turn with me to the book of John chapter 3. There must be some things said before we get into the subject of giving. As we find there in the book of Numbers chapter 18 and many other places. We find that God must work a work of grace. There must be. That song we sang out of the green hymnal. I don't know if we've ever sang it before, but I tell you, it stirred my heart. That, this man knew something about the gospel. And here we read in John chapter 3 that the Lord is speaking to a very religious person, just like you and I are before we are born again. Very religious. And he shares with this very religious man that is afraid to talk to him during the day for political and religious reasons. He is a leader among the Jews. And if he is caught talking to this teacher that has come on the scene, if he is seen, he is going to be ostracized. So he comes at night, thankful to God Almighty that he would even draw him at night, that he would bring him to him at night. This is a divine appointment. And in John chapter 3, turn there with me. We've read this many, many times. You've read it. We've heard preaching on it. But in John chapter 3, we find the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with this very religious man, and he's sharing with him, what you have is not it. The dress you have is not the dress that you need. The words you have are not the words that you need. The life that you have is not the life that you need. You haven't got the first start. You haven't been begun yet. You are religious. You have all the religious preparations, and you're here to visit with me And I am going to be faithful to the word of God. And I have to share with you that what you have is absolutely worthless in the eyes of Almighty God. And then he shares with us in John chapter 3 and verse 3, the scriptures here share with us these words. 
Jesus says, answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen and amen. He says, Ye must accept a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. All the stuff you have is not this. All the stuff you have learned is not this. It is not the new birth. And you will not get the new birth by having this stuff. And then if you'll drop down with me there in uh, verse 7, it says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, he never tells him how this is going to take place. You know, when you have a child, we never discuss how that baby's going to grow in the womb. That's the business of God. But it must happen before there is going to be birth. And the same is true from a spiritual context. Now back up with me in the book of John to chapter 1 and verse 13. As we look at the preparation that goes into what God intends for us to do with what we have. God must give us a new attitude towards God. God must give us a new attitude towards sin. And he does this in the new birth. He gives us a new attitude about God himself. We see him as the almighty, the sovereign king of the universe. We see him as the sovereign over salvation. We see him sovereign over every aspect of salvation. And it's not by our works of righteousness in any manner. In John chapter 1 and verse 13, we read these words that say, in verse 12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Now, don't stop at verse 12. Go on to verse 13. Which were born, not of, the, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. None of that, Nicodemus, is going to be of any asset to you when you stand before Almighty God, even though you're a very religious person. And the same is going to be true as he speaks to the Israelites, even in the wilderness. <clears throat> it is not these things that are important. You're not born of blood. It isn't an inherited thing. Even though there are certain people believe that if you're saved, then your children are automatically in the kingdom. That is not true. The Lord Jesus Christ did not have all saved brothers and sisters. If anybody ever had the opportunity of doing for everybody in his family what we would like to have done in our family, the Lord could have done it but if they were not in the Lamb's book of life, he was not going to do it. He is sovereign over the salvation of even his own half-brothers and half-sisters. He is sovereign over the salvation of his mother and of his stepfather. Well, here it says we're not born that way. We're not born that way. You must be born again as we get in chapter 3. But you're not born by inheritance. You're not born by your own will. And then he goes on to say, and you're not born by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. I cannot will you into the kingdom. And then he goes on to say with us, but of God. That just it puts it in a totally different realm. We find in 1 Peter. Would you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, we find these glorious words written. And they all are just what was preached in the Old Testament as well. The necessity of God doing the work. Over there he called it, I will circumcise your heart. 
Over there he says, I will give you a new heart. Here we say, the New Testament words for it is, you must be born again. Same thing, dealing with the same issue. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Being born again, not of corruptible seed. You know, when my dad had his children, they were marked out for death. They're born of corruptible seed. My family started with 10, and I was talking to my youngest brother the other day, and now we have six. I have a twin brother that's the next in line for the boys. I almost wrote and told him, well, you're next. Corruptible seed. You know, to be born of corruptible seed does not inherit the kingdom of God. Corruptible seed does not get saved that way. All right, it goes on to say, by the word of God, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible, by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. So God is in charge of this great thing. Now, this produces this wonderful work that God performs in his people that he has marked out from the foundation of the world, this great work produces something in them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Let's just look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. These words are left there for... 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's quite obvious when 1 Corinthians doesn't have a verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now that word is creation. It has the same merit to it as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Without counsel, he created the heavens and the earth. Without any input, he created the heavens and the earth. And when it comes to salvation, without counsel, without input, he gives us a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then goes on to say, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I'm still trying to comprehend some of that all things become new. Now, he does not say all old things are passed away. Many old things are passed away. But you know what? I still have this flesh, and this flesh is still sinful. He did not overcome that yet. The time is coming when it will be overcome. In the resurrection, at the moment in the twinkling of an eye, he will change this body to be like unto his glorious body, and then we'll know what it is to be sin-free. Now, for the moment, he saves, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We have the down payment of our inheritance. We have the down payment of his complete work of salvation. But as he shares with here, all things are passed away. But behold, all things spiritual become new. There's absolutely nothing that we carry over, nothing that we bring into this side of our salvation, of our new birth. Everything is so new. The Bible is so new to us. God is new to us. A God that we used to try to manipulate. No, I I was listening to a message that a friend of mine sent me 
man preached a message in 2014 upon free will. And he, he's preaching against it because there's no such thing in the Bible. But he said, you know, when we're saved, we follow what Mary, the mother of Jesus, said. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. We never go into our prayer closet and say, Lord, let my will be done. We go into the closet and say, let thy will be done. I hope we mean it most of the time. Well, that's what happens. When God does a work of grace, it is a spiritual, it is eternal, and it is completely different from anything that can come or be produced physically or religiously. It is absolutely so, so different than turning over a new leaf, doing something religious, becoming religious. And you know what? That never lasts. Just never lasts. You can trade religion to religion to religion, and it never lasts. Oh, we're, we're doing fine for right now. But, but when Jesus, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit saves us in the new birth, it's eternal work of God. It is eternal. Now, in Hebrews chapter 8, twice it mentions it in the book of Hebrews, that what God is going to do, the results of the new birth, this is what I'm going to do for you. And this is going to be so close to where we're getting into our subject there in the book of Numbers chapter 18. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews shares with us so much about what was going on in the Old Testament. And here in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, we find that the Lord, through the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is truly the author. He used secretaries, but he's truly the author. I was reading something the other day, and he says he just could not comprehend how Moses knew all that stuff. It had to be handed down from word of mouth to word of mouth to word of mouth. And he says, you know, if you just believe what the word has to say, it's the Holy Spirit that gave him the message. Now, the Holy Spirit was there present in the very beginning when the world was created. The Holy Spirit was there in all of those episodes and activities and everything, and he can give a clear description to a man 2,000 years later about what took place. The word of God came by inspiration. We don't have to worry about if they were able to, you know, if I started over here and shared a message, whispered it in an ear, and by the time it got over here, we probably wouldn't be able to recognize it. But when God takes care of it, it's the same all the way through. It's by inspiration. So here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, and verse 6 through 13, we have what the Lord calls the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, and this is what I'm going to do. When I save people, when I give them the new birth, this is the results of it. And this is the glorious results of it. It tells us here in verse uh, 6, but uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now there's... Several things in that verse of Scripture that shares with us that this covenant, the everlasting covenant, is so much better than the old covenant because the mediator of the old covenant, Moses, is dead. And the mediator of the new covenant is alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. It's so much better. Well, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then there should have been no place have been sought for the second 
For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, which I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, he's not talking about a piece of property or a national thought. He's talking about the church here. This is the covenant he made. And then he says, Not according to that covenant that he made with the fathers, and when a day I took them out of the, uh, by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because... They continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So there's no need whatsoever to ever start that covenant again and say, this people is my people. You know what he says? The church is my people. The church is my people. Now, for a season, I had them set aside to demonstrate that all the good things that I could do for them, if I did not give them a new heart, if I did not give them the new birth, they still wouldn't follow me if I supplied every bit of stuff they needed. Well, now, this is the covenant, verse 10, that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. Now, what does that do for us? If God does that for us, what does it do for us? So much. (laughs) There's no end to telling what God does for his people, because we are finite and he is infinite. And he has promised us every spiritual blessing. And he has promised to take care of every need that we have. He supplies the the need for it. He takes care of it. The new birth gives us a view of God that we never have seen, a love for God we never had, and a desire about service we never knew. The effects are everything. Now, that leads us right into Numbers chapter 18. (laughs) Numbers chapter 18. It is evident that unless God does a work of grace, unless God does a work of salvation, unless God gives them, as the Old Testament term for it, a circumcision of the heart, New Testament word is new birth, which means the same thing. Unless God does that, then what people do is out of obligation. They're trying to earn a position with God. They're trying to earn a position and merit. They're trying to merit it. And this is so evident among the Israelites. They're trying to merit a position with God. And God says, I don't take your merit I take the merit of my son, and I impute that merit to you. I give that merit to you. And that's the only favor that you have with me is because you have the son. I have given you the son. And so as we look here in the book of Numbers chapter 18, the last few verses of this passage share with us that there was a gift to be given to the Levites. It was called a tenth or a tithe. And this is used a number of times in the Old Testament, this term that is used here, a tenth or a tithe. And you know, before you know it, there's people that have turned that into a very religious thing. And that's exactly what God said, don't do. Don't ever turn this into a religious thing. Turn this in trust the Lord thing. Trust him with all you 
all yours, all you have, and all your soul and mind and spirit. And we can only do that when God gives us a new birth. We never trust him with all of it. We don't even know how much we have to trust him with. It's required in the Old Testament that you trust the Lord God, trust God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your being. And you think about that, that's an impossibility because we can't get there from here in our works of the flesh. But we have been given that by the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Our, our great high priest has loved the Father with all of that, and he has given us that love the same amount. All right, as we go through here, we find that the Lord is sharing with Moses there, beginning with verse 24 of this passage, it says, But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I had said unto them, Among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And this is covered several t- verses in this passage of Scripture, closes out this whole chapter, is dealing with the subject about what the Levites get. They get the tithe. They get the tenth. And you know, as we look at the Scriptures, we find out that many people looked at that as just a religious ordinance, and yet we find that the Lord never intended for that to be that way. He is giving that to people that wouldn't give anyway. (laughs) But He's given to the church. I love a cheerful giver. And let's look at this from the Old Testament view. 32 times is tithe or tithes or tenth used in the Bible, and eight of them are found in the New Testament. And we're going to read each one of those in just a moment. The first time that we run into this word is found in the book of Genesis chapter 14 when Abraham goes, his nephew is captured, and a whole bunch of people of Sodom are taken, and Abraham out of his own servants, raises up an army. And in chapter 14, goes and gets his nephew back and defeats those kings. And he, on the way back to where he lives, lo and behold, who does he meet? Melchizedek. King of Salem. King of righteousness. Now, what does he do to Melchizedek? He gives a tithe of all that he has gotten. Now, why did he do that? Abraham realized that this man is, even though I'm powerful and I can raise an army and I can defeat kings, this man is so much greater than I am. This man, I believe firmly, this man is the incarnate Christ came out to meet him. Now, if you don't believe, don't agree, that's all right. <laughs> I'm not going to argue about it, but that's what I believe about it. Either he's a good a picture of it or he is. But anyway, when Abraham met him, this man Melchizedek came out with bread and wine, and they had a gospel meeting. That's what the gospel is. It's the blood of Christ. It's his broken body. They came out there. They celebrated the wonderful gospel. And because the, this one who was declaring the gospel was so much more powerful, honorable, greater, the Lord is so much greater than any of us in any capacity, 
That's why he said, I'm going to give all this to him. Now, one time I asked a preacher, I said, do you think, do you think for a moment, do you, could you consider this, that if more money was given and more missionaries were sent to foreign fields, would there be more people saved? You know what his answer was? Yes. If there was more money and more missionaries, there would be more people saved. I said, you do not believe that. Oh, yes, I do. And I said, no, you don't. If you believe that, there wouldn't be a dime in your savings account. You had spent all to do what you just said needed to be done. They don't believe that. We find here in the scriptures that God loves a cheerful giver. Now let's back up in the book of the law, the book of the law Leviticus. First chapter of the book of Leviticus. When we went through here many years ago, and sometime <laughs> we're going to go again. But in Leviticus chapter 1, in the book of Leviticus, there's many, many sacrifices made. People are touched. They bring a lamb or a goat or a heifer or something, and they present it to the priest, and an offering is made because they've done something. There was even, if you thought about committing a sin that you didn't even know about, there was an offering for that. And my goodness, how often we'd be there if that was the case. I didn't even know I did that. I don't know I'm doing it. But the Lord said, if, if you come to the conclusion, there is a sacrifice for that I want you to do. Now, I don't believe that there were many of those sacrifices. I don't believe that there were many sacrifices at all because nobody would bring them unless they not knew that had the need to. Now, notice here in the book of Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it. What does it say here? Of his own voluntary will. God never wanted any of those sacrifices that was by people out of necessity. He wanted those sacrifices out of voluntary will. Now, who had that? Who had a voluntary will to do this? If you had raised this lamb and it was worth 10 shekels to somebody else, you certainly wouldn't be bringing it. And we find out that there were people that were doing that. They brought the worst they could possibly bring because they couldn't sell it. And now that's not out of voluntary will. That's out of necessity. It goes on to tell us here, it is of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Now we find wonderfully written for us, in Psalm 110 and verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of his power. Who brought that sacrifice that's described there and many other sacrifices? Those who God had touched. They brought this sacrifice. It wasn't out of requirement. They brought it out of their own voluntary will because God made them willing. Let's just look over here in the book of Exodus chapter 35 for a moment. Exodus chapter 35. In Exodus chapter 35, we read these words along the same subject. Exodus chapter 35, verse 5. Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. 
Whosoever is of a willing heart. (laughs) You know what? God said, if you don't have a willing heart, you're okay. Just stay back here. I don't want you. But a willing heart. Now, where did they get a willing heart? How do people get a willing heart to willingly serve the Lord? And not out of constraint. Not out of, I have to. How do they get that? God said to the Old Testament saints, I will circumcise your heart. New Testament, he brings up the same thing. He says, ye must be born again. And when I give you the new birth, I give you a willing heart to serve me. What did it say over there in the book of Hebrews chapter 8? It said there, I will be your God and you shall be my people. I will put my law on your heart. I will take care of all the problems that have been established since the fall of Adam. Adam exercised his free will and look what's happened since then. His free will never chose God after that. His his free will never wanted God to be in his life after that. He ran, he hid, he covered himself doing all the things that people do of their own free will. If it hadn't been for God and his free will to save people from their sins, there would be no one saved and there would be no willing hearts. Here it says in Exodus chapter 35 and verse 21, same thing. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom his spirit made willing and they brought the Lord's offering. The Lord made them willing. In the day of his power, he made them willing. And then in verse 29 of that same chapter, it says this, And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work and so forth and so on. It goes, a willing heart. God had worked with them just like he did with the saints at Corinth or the saints at Ephesus, the saints at Gal- in Galatia. He had given them the new birth. And as a result of that, they says, I have such a view of God now. May I serve him gladly with my whole heart May I take out the requirements that that have been imposed in religion and may I look at him as one who has loved me with an everlasting love, one that has called me out of darkness to his marvelous light, one that has written my name down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, one who came and gave himself for me. And now I have the wonderful opportunity extended to me to have a willing heart towards God. Psalm 40, verse 8. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 40 and verse 8. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, we read these words that are so wonderful about God's activity. And it is God's activity. We have to attribute it all to the Lord. Otherwise, we'd be like that Pharisee. And we'll read about him in just a moment. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is written within my heart. Now that could be a statement about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but it's also a statement written about every one of his believers, everyone that he saves. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. He didn't write the Ten Commandments. He wrote, trust the Lord. 
Our righteousness, our sanctification is not based upon what we do with the Ten Commandments. I will say this, the Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to the Ten Commandments, but God is not going to measure us by the Ten Commandments. He's going to measure us by His Son, and His Son kept them completely. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Matthew. There's a few verses in the book of Matthew uh, and the Gospels I want to read that deal with the subject of tithing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus is speaking about the scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. He says here, for they pay tithe of mint. Eight times is this word tithe used in the New Testament, and here's one of them. And it's not in such a complimentary state, is it? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Now, if that's the measuring stick that God has given to you about giving, amen, I'm not going to get involved there. I'm just saying the Bible teaches us that we're going to love him with a willing heart. All right, it goes on to say, I paid tithe of mint and of anise and of cumin and have... Can you imagine what it took for them to do that? to weigh out or count out or do something with all of these, these agricultural crops that they have made and they tithe of all of that. And then it goes on to say, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought to be done and not leave the other undone. In the book of, of uh, Luke chapter 11, would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 11. And in verse... 42, Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, it says this, But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and love of God. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. You've forgotten the weightier matters. You forgot, well, they didn't have the good start. <laughs> we pray that they would be, have been like Saul of Tarsus, that the Lord would give them a good start to give them a beginning to love God with all their heart. And then the rest of it just falls into place. It, there's, no, there's no need to worry about it. God is going to work in his people to will and to do of his good pleasure. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7, we read about Abraham paying tithes. The wonderful part about that whole thing is when Abraham paid tithes, he paid the tithes for Levi. Can you imagine that someone else would take a care of our debt? It's pictured there. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and we get reading here in the book of Hebrews, it's also over in the Old Testament, that Levi paid tithes in Abraham. Well, who took care of your debt? Who took care of my debt? That is the Lord. And what does he do? He gives us a willing heart heart. He gives us a willing heart. In the book of Matthew chapter 6, we find a number of things so mentioned there. And these, these are really, these are the re predominantly religious activities. The religion has this just down to the core. And when we read in the book of Matthew chapter 6, which is part of his great, or his Sermon on the Mount, he covers three things that are very highly religious. 
in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know, to the Pharisees, we just read about that in the book of Luke this morning. They're giving a little bit, but they, you know, it's, it's several coins as it rattles down through that brass thing down into the pot. Everybody can hear that's what's going on. That's what they wanted. They'd have dropped in paper if, it was, if they didn't want to hear something. They wanted people to pay attention to what they were giving. They wanted people to hear what they were giving. And here he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then if we drop down to verses 6 through 8, when he's talking about praying, he says, don't pray as those guys do. Why do they do it? They want to be heard. They want to be seen. He says, enter your closet. I was with a man the other day, and we were talking about this, and I said, my favorite closet is right at the steering wheel when I'm driving. I get to converse with my Savior, uninterrupted generally. And then in the last part, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Talks about fasting and says, don't you let anybody know that you're doing that. That's between you and me. And that word fasting most of the time meant shut your mouth. <laughs> Be quiet. Don't question God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we have these words. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We heard read there in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Not grudgingly, not reluctantly, not out of grief or sadness. I remember a friend of my dad's talking to me many years after my dad passed away, and he came to work one time at the sawmill, and he was just down in the mouth. And my, his friend says, what's going on, Howard? And he says, well, we had to butcher another steer to feed the family, and I could have sold it. That's grudgingly. <laughs> not grudgingly. And not out of sadness or of necessity, imposed either by circumstances or law. It's not by necessity. But God loveth a cheerful giver. Comes from the Greek word. That word cheerful means, comes to us from the word we get hilarious. A hilarious giver. A, a, you know, and keeping in mind, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. For the hardness of their heart, he gave them divorce. And for the hardness of their heart, he gave them the law of tithing. But to those he saved, he said, do it with a willing heart. Do it of your own free will. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Sometimes he just will slaughter one. As Mike brought out, we don't take an offering. Wastes a lot of good time. Haven't taken an offering for 35, and I was talking to Mike this morning. It was happened before I came here. 
The Lord takes care of that business just like he takes care of salvation. He takes care of the business of the business of this body. This is the second message I brought on this subject in 35 years. Why? Because I ran into it. It was right there. Now, the Lord willing, next week we'll go to chapter 19 and look at the red heifer. Read chapter 19 of the book of Numbers. Romans chapter 8. Let's read this before we close. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. He shall freely give us all things. If he gave his son. Now that's one thing about that salvation that God gives. We, we realize there's some things become them. We realize that everything we have belongs to him to begin with anyway. It is just his. And if we are touched to give part back, that's his it's not out of necessity, it's not out of legalism, it's not out of law, it's not, none of those things apply in this subject. I read it in, and you can go to the online, and there is a place that has come out with 52, how many Sundays in a year? 52. 52 pre-offering four to five minute long talks already prepared for you. You know what? I'm thankful I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that. We don't have to do that. God loveth a cheerful giver. He hath made us willing in the day of his power to love him, and he'll take care of the rest in us. Brother Mike.